hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We've got a great show this week, and I have a very special guest that I'm going to bring on the back side of the program, Dr. Steve Kiby. But I wanted to give you just a little bit of a clip, as I normally do on a lot of the programs, with, a, with a, basically a clip of music. And the title of Steve's record is Promise, Songs of Reassurance, Hope, and Healing. He is both a physician and a very talented musician. Let's listen to Steve Kiby. The title of this tract is By Your Promise.
Wow, that is incredible. I just can't imagine that we have a doctor who's also an incredibly accomplished musician on the backside of the McCullough Report. I'm excited to talk about a new product from Healthy Cell, AC11. This is a patented bioactive extract of Uncaria tomentosa from the Amazon rainforest. It supports cell DNA repair and health span. It's a dietary supplement. I'm excited to try it. Many are interested in longevity and attenuation of senescence. We know that telomere length and other uh, biologic measures are related to senescence in uh, 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 clinical and uh, preclinical studies, particularly of animal models. And I can tell you as a doctor, dietary supplements do hold the promise of attenuating repair and damage in our body due to stress, physical wear and tear, sunlight, etc. And there's a tremendous opportunity for supplements to help us in this area. And so Healthy Cell has brought a product to market for you to try as part of your health portfolio. So please go to HealthyCell.com and in the promotional code, list out loud for 20% off your first purchase of products from Healthy Cell. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Well, we have a a fast-moving show this week with lots of news, uh, news regarding advances in medicine, but also what's going on in the geopolitical landscape. And first and foremost are the Biden vaccine mandates, which were announced several weeks ago by press release by President Joseph Biden. And then uh, there was a, a wave of triggered vaccine mandates by employers of which uh, none of the employees uh, desire. No one can actually really know who's uh, making the decisions on these mandates. It's clear no one wants them. They don't have any popular support whatsoever. And then most recently, they've been met with a tremendous resistance from a variety of groups, uh, both employers, groups, parent groups, other stakeholders, and then, uh, in fact, the legal community. And I'll bring on Stu Peters uh, real quickly with Dr. Jane Ruby for an update on what's going on with the federal mandates. Well, as you know, the communistic Biden regime says everybody's getting a shot. Everybody's getting the bioweapon, regardless of your immunity status or your age. None of that matters. We're going to inject a needle into every living and breathing organism. But a Fifth Circuit court judge says not so fast. The workplace mandate is, quote, fatally flawed, says this sane judge. Dr. Jane Ruby is here with more on that. This sounds like victory to me. It sure does, Stu, and it's a great first step. Uh, I'm not a legal expert, but I am a legal observer, especially uh, when it has to do with these jabs. So what happened was on Friday, a trial court halted OSHA's implementation. You know, it's clear that the Biden administration has weaponized the um, Occupational Safety and Health Advisory uh, Group and into into this mandate. But but the judge on Friday said no way, and then. Uh, the other exciting part was that the Fifth Circuit Judge uh, Court of Appeals uh, over, overnight Friday night uh, reaffirmed that stay 
on, on that. And, and what was really fun about it was that there was a 22-page decision, and some of the quotes uh, are really, really impressive. Uh, I, I wish we had thousands of judges who actually saw it uh, in the truthful way that this judge did, because essentially what he was saying was that OSHA's responsibility is to protect people from workplace uh, hazards, chemicals, substances that are used in factories, manufacturing processes, things like that. Not general danger from you know viruses and, and common cold. That's not in their purview. So some of the the uh, the quotes that the judge said, as you indicated, my personal favorite is that the uh, the mandate and and the execution of it or the direction to execute it through OSHA is fatally flawed on its own terms. The judge also mocked the status. Uh, uh, the stated impetus, he said, for the, the purpose, the, a quote, a purported, and then he put in quotes, emergency, uh, that the entire globe has now endured for nearly two years, citing that OSHA itself took two months to respond initially. So it couldn't have been that much of an emergency. Right. Uh, and, then, and then he said, yeah, and then he said, um, it, it, its promulgation through OSHA grossly exceeds the agency's statutory authority. He also said it was a the mandate was a one size fits all in his words sledgehammer thought that was pretty impressive and that the current danger here here's another big one the current danger of COVID-19 is questionable that was his wording again so in summary yeah this is a huge start to kneecapping these workplace nightmares destroying American you know businesses and remember this was directed at businesses of 100 employees or more. And the administration clearly said that after they got this one through, they were going to get a mandate in place for businesses less than 100 employees. So this is a perfect time. Look, hearing from a lot of people saying, well, this doesn't affect, you know, public workers or CMS. Well, not yet, but let's build on this. And I've got some interesting information from a judicial scholar who uh, is a state Supreme Court judge. And I asked a few questions for interpretation. And he said to me, look, it covers everybody in the Fifth Circuit and around the country. That was a big question that people had. Uh, no question this will ultimately get before the Supreme Court, in this judge's opinion, of the United States before the first week in January. Uh, it's only a precedent, he said, if it's not appealed and further reviewed. This is not going to be a precedent, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, this is not going to be a precedent is the ultimate question going forward to the highest court. And I asked him how he was certain that it would be going to the Supreme Court and so quickly. And his response was, look, they took it up from the trial court uh, to the appellate court in the Fifth Circuit within hours. It's the most compelling issue in connection with the vaccine policy. It's not going to stop there. So I hope that gives people some hope. And again, use this, use this decision, use this stay uh, on OSHA and the Biden administration, and hopefully it uh, turns the tide a little bit. So who that. does this specifically impact? Uh, you said the Fifth Circuit and around the country. So which one is it? Yeah, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, reaffirmed the lower court's stay uh, to, to halt this uh, OSHA implementation of the Biden mandate. But uh, this state Supreme Court justice uh, translated for, for us that this covers everyone in the country who has a private business with over 100 employees. Wonderful. So, so uh, 2.4 people, billion people, is that what it is? 2.4 billion people have taken this thing already? 
Uh, yeah, $2.4 billion, it's estimated by a number of organizations. And in particular, what caught my eye, uh, we're, we're moving into the antibody-dependent enhancement season, I fear. What caught my eye is that a physician who runs a, uh, an ICU in a very large hospital system in Belgium uh, just came out publicly and said that he could verify that 100% of his ICU patients are injected, uh, and they're showing uh, pneumonia and covid uh, like experiences. Look, antibody-dependent enhancement is an, another way to say pathogenic priming. In other words, priming up your immune system to, to react, you know, more aggressively. And the reason this is important is I think that they may use this as like the scare, you know, the COVID scare, you know, point two, um, because this is, and by the way, this pathogenic priming is only related to pretty much any mRNA technology for these bioweapon shots. And I want to ask, you know, why is Pfizer, why isn't Pfizer or Moderna, who are the primary purveyors of this particular mRNA bioweapon, why aren't they addressing the issue? Why aren't they coming out again? Why do we not have a press conference? Why do we not have a, a safety report or some sort of uh, risk mitigation strategy that, that other companies are, 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 you know, obligated to do? So speaking so of press conferences, why yeah. is there nobody in the White House asking Jen Psaki uh, about all of the people who have reportedly died from this thing? Already, why Absolutely. is nobody asking the administration why they're not addressing the hospitalizations, the permanent disabilities, the miscarriages, spontaneous abortions, and deaths that have been caused by this bioweapon? Absolutely right. Uh, just to take a little bit of a closer look at this pathogenic priming, this is relating to people who have taken these jabs, Stu. When they're injected they, and they're later exposed to natural coronaviruses in the wild, what, what we see happening uh, and what we expect is a full inflammatory response. What does that mean? It's something you've heard called cytokine storm. Um, there, are, there are hundreds of thousands of immune you know, components, cells, uh, and cytokines themselves are transcription factors, which means they're signalers. They'll they'll send out a signal. You know, they they keep a homeostatic balance theoretically. And what they do is they ramp up an inflammatory response in response to an invasion or a problem. Or and then when it's when it's time to dampen it down, they send out other types of cytokine signalers that say, okay, calm it down now. But in this particular situation, when people take these jabs, especially with the boosters, they are priming, they're over priming their immune system to get more aggressive and focus on these synthetic spike proteins to the exclusion, I've said, of other organisms or invaders that the body might also be, you know, be wisely trying to prepare you for. And you know, when these cytokine storms occur, you are at very high risk for either bleeding or blood clots. So this is another mechanism by which people are getting sick. The thing I fear, Stu, uh, because people are gonna they're gonna die in large numbers. They're gonna they're gonna experience paralysis, uh, organ failure, which will lead to their death, uh, permanent neurological changes, difficulty speaking, maybe difficulty comprehending, cognitive changes. The problem is no one's gonna be reporting it to VARES because think about it. Uh, you know, if it's if it's in the next couple couple of months, it's going to be so far removed temporarily from the time they got their shots that, that, that they're not going to be, they can't even make the connection now when somebody drops dead of, you know, a heart attack and myocarditis two weeks after they take the shot. How are they going to make that link connection, you know, during the winter? And, you know, remember the, the Biden administration and the president, um, the, the resident Biden has already signaled this is going to be a dark winter. It's going to be a really dark, you know, December, January, February. I want people to be aware 
that this could be coming, but I want you to keep in mind that what you're going to see is definitely going to be antibody-dependent enhancement. This is what happened to the animals in the preclinical studies for SARS-CoV-1, that the animal studies within two to three weeks of being exposed to natural coronaviruses, flus, colds in the wild, these animals died, all died within two weeks. So I think we're gonna see something really awful happening, but people need to remember that this is pathogenic priming. This is not going to be, you know, SARS-CoV-2 lockdown scare, you know, 2.0. I mean, they're gonna, they could try to make it that, uh, but 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 we, we have to be on our guard. That's exactly and what I they're gonna to try to make it. And I, I wanna remind everybody, you were the first one months ago to come out here and talk about this pathogenic priming and this antibody dependent enhancement. You called it really early, just as you do a lot of times. I'd rather be right than early or right than first, but you seem to be both uh, pretty consistently and we appreciate you being all Thanks. over this stuff. So when you're hearing about Marburg and whatever the next variant is going to be, and you're having people running for cover and ducking and diving and locking themselves down, trying to escape the dangerous and deadly viruses that are coming during this so-called dark winter that the dementia patient is telling us all about, this is all lies. This is all set up by a complicit media. This is part of the brainwashing operation. Uh, remember, when you turn on any one of these channels, Newsmax and Fox included, and they go to commercial break, what do you see? Commercial after advertisement after message telling uh -huh. you to go and get shots and take this medicine and Viagra this and Pfizer sure. that. They are sellouts and shills for big pharma. They are butt sluts for big pharma. They want you... They're, they're, they're basically the paid whores. They're bringing the money back to Big Pharma. If you go away from these channels, guess what? They're not going to pay them to advertise there anymore, and we can participate in some reverse cancel culture. But Dr. Jane Ruby called it. Antibody-dependent enhancement is what you're going to see all winter long when these no. people are dying. Just ask yourself this. Just do, a, do an independent poll. Of all the people that you know that are injured or that are demonstrating some sort of a, a sickness, that are hospitalized, are they injected or are they not? And I bet you the majority of people that you know that are going to be sick and hospitalized and dead are going to be the injected ones. This is the pandemic of the vaccinated. Dr. Jane Ruby, thank you so much for being Amen. here. Amen. Well, I have to tell you, I you know, Stu Peters does some great reporting. He obviously has his angle. And uh, Jane Ruby is has been on our show. She's a former pharmaceutical executive. She is also a licensed uh, nurse practitioner and um, has a PhD in uh, pharmacovigilance. I think they are slightly off on this. And here's my interpretation. The majority of people who took the vaccine and did it very early on in the vaccination program, uh, December, January, February, March to some degree. By April, vaccination rates uh, certainly fell off in the United States. And now everyone is showing resistance against uh, more vaccination. And uh, there is very little appetite for boosters. And, uh, and people in my circles, almost no one wants to take the boosters. What we know in a paper from Israel and colleagues from Israel is that uh, the antibodies fall off at 40% per month after being fully vaccinated. So you can imagine at six months, uh, there's almost no measurable antibodies after the vaccine. And vaccines only uh, key antibodies against the spike protein. That's one out of 27 different targets. That's the reason why the natural immunity is so much better. Now, um, if the antibodies uh, fall off and effectively patients are now not uh, immunized by six months, 
it's going to be very unlikely we're going to have antibody-dependent enhancement for a dark winter. It just has to do with the timing of who took the vaccines. Now, if there is a widespread uptake of boosters, and let's say 60% of the country turns around and takes boosters now into the fall, I have a different view on that. I think we could be very busy with a blend of vaccine injuries, potentially worsened infections because of uh, the boosterized uh, distorted immunity in the body, and we could be off to uh, what Stu Peters is um, predicting along with Jane Ruby. I predict something different. I think what's going to happen is uh, we basically now have our most vulnerable group. Uh, we have seniors. Remember, COVID-19 has always been a problem of seniors. We now have our seniors. We had 80% of them that were fully vaccinated. We now have them basically becoming uncovered. Uh, they're, they're beyond the six-month window. There has been no public promotion of vaccination in boosters uh, for seniors. There's been a tremendous preoccupation in children. Children are not going to participate meaningfully anymore in the COVID-19 vaccine pandemic because we know now from the uh, FDA meetings in uh, September and October that uh, that 40% of children up to May were thought to have COVID-19 in as an illness uh, in the past, so they have natural immunity. And then through the Delta pandemic, that proportion could have doubled. So 80% of children basically have had COVID-19. That's a reasonable estimate in the United States. There's just not going to be that much more COVID-19 in children, no matter what happens, whether they take the vaccine or not. Uh, a, a recent survey done by uh, Dan Ball's show on Real America showed that only 27% of Americans had an interest in uh, vaccinating young children. And so I think there's going to be low uptake. You see parental resistance all around the country, uh, despite really the distorted things we're seeing in the media this week. Uh, some of you know that uh, Sanjay Gupta, CNN correspondent, you know, really bright guy. He trained at University of Michigan. I did part of my training there. I know he's not uh, someone without uh, mental faculties, but he was on Sesame Street, uh, basically seducing children into taking the vaccine without giving fair balance information about myocarditis and death and the risks that children take with the vaccine. And I got to tell you, this is really going to color uh, the historical review of his career. And when all this is said and done, it's going to be a shock to be able to review one's resume like his and then say, listen, look what you were doing. You were seducing children to participate in research, an investigational vaccine, which has official warnings from the FDA on myocarditis for Pfizer and Moderna. These are official warnings. I'm not making this up. How can you possibly try to uh, cajole and to encourage and to, to seduce small children through Sesame Street to take an injection that has official warnings about myocarditis and not try to give any fair balance and any type of reasonable presentation to the parents? And I think at face value, people look at that and it will be a shameful walk that he will have to follow through the course of his career on this. Now, importantly, uh, with so many children uh, having natural immunity, I wanted to update you on a, a very important uh, development that occurred over the last weekend. And that is uh, lead attorney Adam Seary, uh, who has uh, done a terrific job uh, with uh, Elizabeth Brem, who is his associate attorney. They, through a Freedom of Information Act, 
um, uh, requested the CDC to disclose how many individuals in their entire database have had COVID-19, recovered, got it again, and then passed it on to someone else. They wanted to get the data because the CDC keeps telling those who are naturally immune to take the vaccine because they can get it again and, in, in fact, participate in propagating the pandemic. And then the CDC finally responded to that Freedom of Information Act, and the disclosure was very clear. I'm going to read from the legal documents because I want the McCullough report to be completely transparent and accurate. So this is a November 5th, 2021 communication from Elizabeth Brem of Siri and Gilmstead. Uh, this is uh, Aaron Siri's group, a legal group in New York. It's a second letter subject, final response letter. Uh, the CDC has responded and um, the, uh, Brem was asking for documents reflecting any documented case of an individual who had never received a COVID-19 vaccine, was infected with COVID-19 once, recovered, and then later became infected again and transmitted SARS-CoV-2 to another person when infected. The CDC response by Roger Ando, who is a CDC ATSDRFOAIA officer, and the Office of the Chief uh, Operating Officer of the CDC responded by saying, quote, a search of our records failed to review any documents pertaining to your request. The CDC Emergency Operations Center conveyed that this information is not collected. The CDC, as I have indicated, has never recorded a case of a recovered individual contracting COVID-19 a second time. And this is very, very important because for months now, the CDC, the FDA, the head of the National Allergy and Immunology Branch uh, of the NIH, and all the stakeholders and all the media and all the mandates have stated that those who are COVID recovered should get the vaccine because they could get COVID-19 again. And here we don't have a single scrap of evidence or support for that to happen. I think everybody should really, really pay attention to this development. It's a legal development. It came through some heroic attorneys and uh, the CDC had their opportunity to make their case to America that someone who is SARS-CoV-2 recovered, in fact, is some type of risk person uh, for the propagation of the pandemic, and they are not. It is clear they are not. Natural immunity is robust, durable, and complete, and it is, as far as we can tell, it is lifelong. It is absolutely lifelong, and I want to give you this update. Dr. Paul Alexander, uh, lead epidemiologist from Canada, evidence-based medicine expert, and former advisor in the White House to the former Trump administration is publishing actively on the Brownstone Institute website. And go to Brownstone Institute website and the most recent filings that Paul had on the website this week is we're now up to 128 research studies affirm naturally acquired immunity to COVID-19 is documented. They're linked and quoted. It's robust, durable, complete, uh, far superior to that 
immunity offered by vaccination, which is partial and temporary. The, um, the vaccine immunity appears to last only six months in duration, while the natural immunity is robust, complete, durable, and as far as we can tell, lifelong. Natural immunity blows away vaccine immunity. And then vaccination on top of natural immunity can offer no benefit. And at least three studies that are cited on the America Out Loud website by, um, by uh, Raw, Kramer, and Methudius, there's also three more uh, we could add, show harm when a naturally immune person who cannot get COVID-19 again, the CDC now agrees, cannot get COVID-19 again. So I think this is uh, an extraordinary development and I wanted all of you to uh, be aware of it and, um, and, and keep this really uh, in your knowledge base because we need to have a fundamental understanding of how we need to navigate towards the future. Some of you are uh, decision makers. Some of you are in the boardrooms making decisions. And what we need to see now is a broad sweep to take the naturally immune out of any consideration of vaccines, any consideration of mandates, any consideration of wearing masks, the naturally immune should be able to see their loved ones in the hospital who have COVID-19 without restrictions. The naturally immune, by the way, in nursing homes, in senior centers, should be able to move around freely, even if there's outbreaks of more COVID-19 in the senior homes. And that's what I was going to return to. Uh, what I am predicting is different than what Jane Ruby and Stu Peters mentioned in this segment, is I am going to predict a resurgence of COVID-19 again now in our seniors who are now unprotected by the ephemeral COVID-19 vaccines. The six months or so of immunity that the uh, poorly designed COVID-19 vaccines provide is too little and it's not comprehensive enough and it's running out of gas and our seniors are at risk. And while our uh, stakeholders are putting all the effort and focus on the children of which we could have 80% of children who are already immune and children do not get serious COVID-19 by and large, we're taking our eye off the ball of our seniors, those at risk for serious respiratory COVID-19. And it's those individuals, I believe, who are going to participate in the next wave of COVID-19. We will have another outbreak wave. I think it's right now uh, a inevitable situation. I was hoping the pandemic was going to close down. We're not seeing signs of it. We need to get prepared. We need to get ready. Uh, we need early treatment programs in each and every senior center, in each and every primary care office. Talk about it, promote it, demand it. We have uh, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, Truth for Health uh, Foundation, and the Frontline Critical Care Consortium. They all have available treatment protocols. We have monoclonal antibodies, uh, a great products by GlaxoSmithKline and Regeneron. We need to feature these drugs as well as the other oral drugs in combination to get patients through the pandemic and survive COVID-19 to the other side of natural immunity, which is going to be the only way that we finish out the pandemic. The CDC in the last week has uh, updated their estimates. They estimate that 148 million Americans could have already had COVID-19, and those are conservative estimates. With the Delta outbreak, we could be much closer to a higher number of 200 million Americans. We are gonna to get to the point where this virus is gonna have nowhere to go because it cannot infect somebody that is already infected in the past. So with that, let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.
It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Dr. Peter McCullough, if you go to HealthyCell.com, you can check out the technology, the products of Healthy Cell. These are very innovative products. They are a form of bio-nutraceuticals that are bioactive, and they come in a variety of categories. One is daily essentials, which are the bioactive multi and the vegan essentials. And then the next category is performance, and this is the REM sleep supplement. I've talked about it a lot. I think it's very effective, and I recommend it uh, for myself and for my family, but as well as my patients. I'm having great luck with this because it is such a terrific product with um, a blend of, I think, is what's needed for not only promoting sleep, but also getting quality sleep. And when it gets quality sleep, then there's restfulness, and the next day is better, and then the next night is better, and it becomes a progressively positive cycle for the human body. And the next product in the performance category is Focus and Recall. Focus and Recall. And I think that is the featured product that um, is coming into play for those with long COVID and brain fog that develops after COVID-19, the respiratory infection, but also after COVID-19 vaccination. And then finally, the main horse in healthy cell is the targeted support of immune super boost. Immune super boost. And what we have here is a series of products that really can toe the line for patients who are working their way through the COVID-19 pandemic, either at risk for COVID-19, have had COVID-19 and recovered, are in the post-COVID syndrome, which is now a diagnosis we put in the electronic medical record and are suffering through a variety of manifestations of post-COVID syndrome. And then lastly, those who are in the throes of vaccine reactions of some sort, whether they be uh, acute serious vaccine reactions or the more common mild uh, prolonged vaccine reactions. We now know the spike protein lasts in the human body after the respiratory infection or after vaccination for up to 15 months. We had this breaking development uh, brought to you on America Out Loud Talk Radio with Dr. Bruce Patterson on a recent episode. So we know this is the case. And so we know if the Wuhan spike protein is in the human body for up to 15 months, it's going to cause damage. It's going to cause inflammation. It's going to set a whole variety of immune responses up working against our body and potentially damaging cells, tissues, uh, intercellular communication systems, and very importantly, influencing organ function. And here is where we need the maximum defense for the body, uh, the maximum and the most appropriate blend of micronutrients, uh, minerals, as well as vitamins to help the body get through this difficult time. So go to HealthyCell.com and check out the products and in the promotional code, use the term out loud for 20% off your first purchase. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. 
And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the show, first time I'm on set with him in Columbus, Ohio, Dr. Steve Keeby. Dr. Keeby went to undergraduate at the University of Dayton in Dayton, Ohio, and then went on to Ohio State University where he received his medical degree. He then specialized in pediatrics in Children's Hospital in in Columbus, and he's been in practice in pediatrics in Columbus, Ohio for um, 33 years. So he has a tremendous amount of experience, and Steve has been a leader stepping out of the box in treating patients with COVID-19. I imagine most of these have been adults that have sought him in his practice, but also uh, older children. And we wanted his perspective, since there's so much interest in pediatrics now, both on the treatment and vaccination in children. Uh, The two age groups that now have emergency use authorization for vaccinations are 12 to 17 for Pfizer at 30 micrograms per dose given on two uh, shots. And then uh, children 5 to 11, it's it's Pfizer at 10 micrograms per dose at shot one and then one three weeks later. Dr. Kibi, welcome to the McCullough Report. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, why don't you set the stage for how you got involved in treating patients with COVID-19? Yeah, so I started uh, getting involved when I started to look at what treatment options were available. My mom was 86 years old. She started to get sick with COVID, and I was, you know, doing a little dive into what what was available to her. And um, as we followed her, she ended up getting hypoxic and ended up going to the hospital. Thankfully, she she did recover. She's a pretty strong woman. But in the midst of that, there were some other relatives that were uh, being uh, that were exposed and we're starting to have symptoms and I had been learning a bit about alternative treatment at home treatment and uh, the use of ivermectin so I just um, went ahead and prescribed these a uh, couple of my siblings that were in their 60s the ivermectin and um, they just really did well uh, three three of my siblings that were over 60 uh, started early very early on in ivermectin and they had a very mild course. Did they use ivermectin alone or other drugs in addition? They just used ivermectin. Okay. And that was back in, I didn't have as much knowledge as, I, as I've gained now through research and, and listening and learning. Um, so it was just ivermectin at that, that, t- that time. And it was, you know, that was back back in the very beginning with uh, of last, in last November, a year ago. And um, we were using much lower doses at that time. And and uh, what about timing? Was it started early? Or? Early, yeah, because it was it was just actually preventive as a, with exposure, uh, or very close to just the start of the symptoms. Yeah, I think that's the key. I know individuals who use ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine as single drugs. The key is to use it early. And there was a large study. Uh, in Iran actually using hydroxychloroquine. They just use it for five days, but the key is to start early, and they only picked uh, high-risk individuals. So it sounds like it was some family experience first, and many physicians and caregivers end up, because COVID-19 is so common in family members, you're confronted with this issue of, do I follow the NIH guidelines, which say no outpatient treatment, and wait for hospitalization, or do I take matters into my own hands? Yeah, so treating the families, of course, you know, you, immediate success uh, spurred me on uh, to, to dig deeper and then open myself to uh, friends of 
of family that were needing help with um, early intervention. Uh, the biggest, the, the next woman was in her uh, 60s and she had been chronically, had a chronic cough and uh, she was probably a month, actually maybe two months into her illness and still continued to cough. And I said, well, what's the doctor doing for you? And she said, they haven't done, they, they've just haven't done anything for me. And I said, at that moment, I, you know, I put her on some uh, ivermectin and put her on some prednisone and um, she was, couldn't thank me enough. Um, it had changed her life. You know, so often it's a matter of taking an edge off the illness. We know these drugs aren't perfect, but as individuals are in isolation, they feel uh, uh, lonely, they feel forlorn, uh, they're concerned. They're not doctors and they're trying to uh, give this uh, self-evaluation of, you know, am I sick enough to go to the hospital or am I okay? I think just the idea that there's some medications to take the edge off the syndrome, make people feel better, uh, and have them get the confidence that they can get through the illness. I think one of the side benefits in your approach is that we know the viral replication can last 14 days untreated, but it can be reduced to four days with active treatment with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, and shortening that, in, shortening that infectivity period cuts down on spread. Mm -hmm. Now let's turn our attention to the vaccines. I am sure as a pediatrician now in the last few weeks, your uh, phone has really uh, blown up with questions regarding pediatric vaccination. What type of questions have you had from friends or uh, patient uh, parents? Other people? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously I'm getting a, a lot of questions. Should, should we get this vaccine? And, and quite frankly, I have a lot of parents that are a bit uneasy about it. Um, they just want to, they want to find out more information. And uh, as I've looked at this, um, it's, there's some easiness that I've gained through this process as well. Okay. Well, we're at the Wellness Forum Health Center in Columbus, Ohio, and there's a symposium led by Dr. Pam Popper, uh, and I was one of the presenters. We've had Dr. Peter Bregan and other uh, esteemed faculty presenting, but one of the slides I showed that really made the crowd uh, feel uneasy was a snapshot from yesterday on Sesame Street where CNN correspondent Sanjay Gupta uh, was basically interacting with Sesame Street characters, uh, in a sense kind of coaching, cajoling, encouraging, seducing young children to take the COVID-19 vaccine. What was your reaction to that? Yeah, this, uh, this was concerning to me on, on several fronts, and, and it, it actually was primed by my wife uh, a couple of days ago when um, she saw a special, a new special, where they were showing pictures of the children lining up to get the vaccines. And at, at that time, the, the doctor that was being interviewed there said, he said that the vaccines were necessary to try to prevent the spread of the virus. And I thought that just wasn't very consistent from what I know about uh, this vaccine. Um, all, I, what I, all I've ever heard from the CDC is that it doesn't prevent the, uh, the opportunity to get infected, nor does it prevent the opportunity to spread it. Um, everything I knew was that this, it doesn't prevent it to be spread. And if that's the case, how can this physician get on the TV and just tell them that's the reason? And I think that coupled with the fact that I, I know that the vaccine has not been studied very long. We, do not, we don't have any safety profile on this age group 
um, let alone didn't have a lot of safety profiles on the older age groups. Now, in your practice, uh, throughout we're coming up on two years uh, into the pandemic. Have you ever had a COVID outbreak in your pediatric office? No, I mean, it's, it's interesting. We have lots of conversations throughout this whole time. I mean, remember, I'm dealing with a very young population. I've got parents that, uh, that are in there, it could be 18 to 30 to four, even 40. And I've got a, a young population of patients, you know, they're under 18 for the most part. We would always, we'd be talking, I'd be asking them, what's your experience with COVID? And, you know, it's always been, well, we had a very mild response. Uh, we got it. We hardly knew we got it. Our children almost had never had any significant symptoms at all. So actually in the past two years, I have gotten, I have a large pediatric practice and I get rare calls. The most calls I get are from uh, parents that need to be have documentation because they're sent home from schools because they have symptoms that are concerning, like a runny nose or even it could be just for because they vomited that day or because they felt a little bit ill. They're just automatically sent home. Well, I have to ask you a question. I had a patient in my practice. Uh, she's in her 30s. Uh, she's a single mother. She has a congenital heart disease. She has um, a mechanical aortic valve in place. She's on warfarin. She gets COVID-19 and she's symptomatic. But here's the question for you as a pediatrician. She has a 10-year-old son and she lives in a multi-generational household. So there's also some grandparents in the household. Now the mother is sick, the grandparents are not yet sick, and the child's not, not sick. Should that 10-year-old child go to school? I don't think that's a real, real big danger factor. Um, I mean, for one thing, the child's still going to be exposed one way or another to this uh, to, to this disease and in that family unit. But as far as the school system, I have not seen uh, major outbreaks in the schools and um, I'm just not just not seeing it. I mean, my daughter goes to high school right now and she's a senior in high school. And over the past year, um, they are just coming together for, for school, and there's probably been eight to 10 cases sporadically. Well, you know, that's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't tell you about that vignette uh, ahead of time. So what happened was uh, I did treat the mother, and she needed it. She was uh, uh, overweight, and she was a smoker. She got the what's called sequence multidrug therapy. Didn't require the monoclonal antibodies, but she did get hydroxychloroquine. I think because of the Delta outbreak, we used hydroxy plus ivermectin plus steroids from motadine, um, colchicine. We added aspirin to the warfarin. I'm very worried about thrombosis on the mechanical valves. We've seen that clinically with respiratory COVID-19. And the mother did get sick. Uh, it was about, about a 14-day illness, but she improved. Subsequently, the, her mother in the household developed it, and then her father in sequence they were all treated, but the 10-year-old never got it. And when I was asked the question, can the 10-year-old go to school? I said, you know, I, I, I don't uh, know what's the right thing outside the fact that if he has no symptoms, he can't spread it. Now, if he develops symptoms at school, then have him uh, be instructed to come home. And everyone was still well enough to drive and they stayed away from others. But, um, it, you know, it turned out that guidance was okay. So that family unit is in a sense through COVID-19 and that 10-year-old boy, in fact, he may have already had it, 
and then been immune, it may have been ex explained why he didn't get it within this close family unit. And I made a house call, and I can tell you the house was a pretty tight household with not good airflow. Um, that it's certainly possible that he had plenty of exposure there, uh, even though they, everyone was trying to stay away from him, and he may have had immunity from a subclinical infection. But not everybody can get COVID-19. Now, have you uh, wrestled with uh, this issue of the children uh, receiving vaccinations specifically in a sense as a human shield where some families say that the child must be vaccinated to see their grandparents? Um, I haven't seen that just yet. I, I actually, in my practice, I see a lot of resistance. I see a lot of parents saying, I would get the vaccine for myself, but I would never do that for my child. Now, they're, they're making those choices. But if a vaccine was perfectly safe and perfectly effective, why would a parent have a reservation? Well, I think the parents are seeing uh, seeing um, different things. Some of the parents are are seeing that they're they're seeing side effects um, from the vaccine in in people that they know. They're they're experiencing um, some actually some regret that they got the vaccine because they're seeing other people getting infected by it. That, that they know. And, and they're also, I think they're just throwing in some common sense. Uh, they're, they're understanding that children just don't get sick with this very often. And why use a vaccine? And they say it in their own words, why we're we using a vaccine that's not, not been tested on children when we don't know at all what kind of side effects can happen with them. Now, do you as a pediatrician, do you have any reservations about other vaccines? Do you in general follow the vaccine schedules that most doctors follow? Yes, I, I've scheduled them pretty much to the T, um, according to the recommend, recommendations of the, the American Academy of Pediatrics and, and the, the Center for Disease Control and so forth. And your, and your um, kids, when your kids went off to college, uh, they got the meningococcal vaccine when requested by the colleges? Yes. Yeah, they got the vaccines. Yeah. So I'm the same way. I want the audience to know that Dr. Kibi and as well as myself, you know, we're not anti-vax. We follow the vaccine schedules. Our kids have followed the vaccine schedules. Our patients have. The COVID-19 vaccine uh, are still under experimental use. Uh, they are research. Dr. Kibbe and myself, we cannot encourage or discourage these vaccines. Uh, we certainly can't promote them because that would violate the Nuremberg Code. That's a code of medical ethics. I couldn't uh, promote my own research study. I couldn't tell my patients, you need to be in my research study. I can tell you the Human Ethics Board and the FDA would be all over me for that. That's the reason why good doctors cannot promote the COVID-19 vaccine. It violates a code of ethics called the Nuremberg Code. If any of you out there getting pressure from your doctor to take the COVID-19 vaccine, remind them that the vaccines are all investigational, the consent form says that it's purely optional and that the doctors themselves are violating codes of medical ethics. They, they couldn't force you to go into another type of research study either. Dr. Kibi, do you have any final words for the McCullough Report audience? No, just that, well, only to say that um, I would encourage everyone to be at least in a level of curiosity. Start to look at not just what you hear outside in the media or what talking points there people are giving, but look, but have a level of curiosity that deals with common sense, um, understanding that your child is not at a 
great risk for the for the COVID virus infection itself. And I would also be careful about making decisions on a vaccine that's not been tested. At least not the, the safety data is just not there. And that's, that's my biggest concern. I mean, we've never in the history of all the vaccines that I know about, we've never vaccinated uh, under these circumstances. We've never vaccinated without doing a very extensive trial. I mean, five, more like 10 years, we've never done that. We've never vaccinated uh, pregnant women or nursing women. We've never given a drug to them without it being adequately studied. So it's just a little bit curious as to how we would be doing, changing the methods that we've used forever to, to justify this vaccine. Particularly in an illness that's so mild, in children, and you know, we are in suburban Columbus right now, and uh, Dr. Kibi's giving you kind of the read of uh, what I would characterize as kind of a middle class, upper middle class um, population here in Columbus, Ohio, the heart of the Midwest, and it probably is the temperature of the nation. I think parents, uh, particularly, are um, having some reservations about the COVID-19, and justifiably so. Yeah. I would say um, also, Dr. McCall, I don't know if you recall that or, or knew that I was in in a lot of investigational trials over the past four or five years involving um, the men, men B vaccine and uh, cholera vaccine. And so I've watched the experimental design and been a part of it. Um, when we did these studies, we were very rigorous in documenting what kind of side effects would occur you know, we'd have patients telling us every day or making logs uh, about the safety, giving us a, an idea about the safety of this vaccine. Well, we just have, we're just not getting that now because this study is really in effect ended after the vaccines were just studied for a moment and then ever unblinded. That means they were all given the vaccine. And so we didn't have any real control group to look at. And then after that, they stopped looking at the side effects and reporting them so diligently. Well, I'll let that be the word, last word. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Dr. Peter McCullough, I want to talk to you for a second about the power of gel. I'm talking about healthy cell products, which are the next generation of new nutrient delivery. The microgel is the next generation nutrient delivery technology, replacing tablets, capsules, and powders. This unique technology, formulated by world-leading nutritional scientists, ensures maximum absorption into the body by releasing extremely small, ultra-bioavailable, soluble nutrient particles in the digestive tract. Now, the products I have featured on the show so far and the ones I've tried And the only ones that I can tell you I will support are ones that I've tried myself and I've had some patient experience with them, include the Immune Super Boost product, which I think is ideally positioned for individuals both in the acute stress of the COVID-19 illness and then in the recovery. Because I can tell you COVID-19, I've had it myself. It is a tremendous catabolic strain on the body. The demands on the body are extraordinary, particularly when pulmonary involvement occurs. And there's no surprise that with the tremendous weight loss and muscle mass, uh, that there is depletion of micronutrients. Uh, The GI tract is not working correctly in COVID-19. Many patients have uh, diarrhea, and boy, do we need 
products that are rapidly absorbed and they can help boost the immune system and fight off the virus acutely. So um, immune super boost clearly plays a role in acute COVID-19. But I extend it into the post-COVID uh, period of time uh, in that long hauler syndrome because the nutritional repletion takes a tremendous amount of time. And during the long COVID syndrome, we know that there is a problem with brain fog. And there the healthy cell focus and recall product plays a critical role in helping get some of the uh, central nervous system and peripheral nervous system function, which is very subtly off. Anybody who's had long COVID syndrome knows it's a very uh, uh, slight, uh, barely perceptive uh, feeling of being off mentally. Focus and Recall product helps get that restored. And then the final component of the long COVID syndrome, which I think is so terribly important to recognize, is sleep disturbance. People aren't sleeping right. And I, I can't tell you how many patients I ask about that. They say, doctor, my sleep is still not back on track. Here, Healthy Cell has a wonderful solution. I think this is the most effective of all their products. It's called the REM Sleep Supplement. And it is uh, a product that supports all four stages of sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep cycle support. It is far beyond a melatonin supplement and far beyond a prescription sleep uh, uh, medication. Uh, the REM sleep supplement is the only product that actually helps restore healthy, high quality sleep. And when someone is restful, there is uh, the amelioration of a surge of catecholamines and cortisol and other stress hormones. And so when the body starts to cycle back normally from a neurohormonal perspective, everything starts to unwind. Sleep gets progressively better. And I think with all these supplements, the key is to take them every day, take them on a regular schedule. And for long hauler syndrome, we are talking about schedules that last three months, six months, sometimes even a year to begin to get out of the syndrome now that we know that the spike protein persists in the human body for at least a year in the respiratory infection. So this is an integration of science and technology. I'm so happy that Healthy Cell is a sponsor of the McCullough Report. I go to their website, healthycell.com, and in the promotional code, type in out loud and get 20% off your first purchase of Healthy Cell products. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report.